0: We're back, 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 back again, queerstians. Evan still doesn't get that reference because he has no. What is no? Oh, this is RuPaul. Something. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we absolutely. need to do like. I would say we need to do a RuPaul binge, but RuPaul is also somewhat of a controversial figure, <laughs> just because of um some of his beliefs or the way you know he has he's making it a little bit of an effort though.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is. I mean, like it's like any of these it's, celebrities. It's. It is a
0: fronted effort i will say yeah probably like um you know he used to have this little thing that said you have she male and he doesn't use that anymore Mm -hmm. um and he also you know instead of saying may the best woman win he now says may the best drag queen win he has a a trans man on this season so it's like is this a fronted effort or is he really understanding i don't know yet could be a bit of both
1: it could be a bit i mean that's the thing about the queer we have to remember as LGBTQ people that our community is going to continue to evolve as we have more science as we have more data as we have more general understanding around gender identity sexual orientation um, and expressions we are going to all have to learn and grow like the things that we talk about on this episode in 5-10 years may be irrelevant or Mm -hmm. maybe out of date some things that we've talked about that seem so progressive today may even be considered offensive that is just like we look at terms like transsexual if you look at that term from 30 40 years ago that was the term that you used to describe yourself and now people don't use that term
0: which is why we put that nice little trigger warning (laughs) at the start of all of our episodes
1: (laughs) so exactly i mean even today like we're not going to use the word in here except for i think one time but like james baldwin the figure that we're covering today writes a lot and he uses that outdated term negro Mm -hmm. which was a term you hear it in the speeches from dr martin luther king jr martin uh x a lot of speakers from that time but that and that was how Black people referred to themselves. Are we allowed the, to say
0: that word as white people? I don't know. Well,
1: that's why I took it out of a, a lot. Like we quote him a lot, and I took it out. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, using that as an example, that was a word that he mm-hmm. used and describing himself, and that people in general use. But now we know that's a, an outdated yep. term. It's a, it would be offensive if I were to, if I it would be offensive if I was to refer to someone like that today. Now, if I'm saying that that's what James Baldwin said, I mean it's not like the other end word. It's not that proper, but said. it's.
0: Yeah, it's I agree. It's like yeah. saying, you know, like transvestite or transsexual. Yeah, it's like those or... like
1: they're uncomfortable words, but you will still hear some people use them. It's like that. So, my my whole point was that to, so RuPaul is growing and evolving and he's not he's no longer the on the progressive end on things. He's more on the other end where mm-hmm. he's catching up and that's what happens when you get older. Eventually, mm-hmm. we will be considered conservative just because we won't be up to date on all the the progression. You know what? Unless people.
0: we're doing this podcast until we're like in our sixties, just forty <laughs> years a year queer story going strong, thirty years. Oh my <laughs> god, knows? thirty years, to our sixties. <clears throat> but still, don't think about it.
1: No, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I mean, unless we're like Bernie Sanders, who has managed to constantly stay I on love the cusp the, of a progression.
0: The, I love the picture of him getting arrested, where there's just like two police oh, officers yeah. pulling him back. I'm like, that's how you know he's always been on the right yep. side.
1: He's always been just as adamant. Well, he's always been on
0: the left side. The right side of history. Left, left.
1: Well, you know what? Though Bernie started so far left that by now he's like right where most people want to be left. Mm-hmm. There's, there's people that are even more radical than him, and so you—that's your—that's your real thing. You want to start way out there to where you're so radical in your 20s that by the time you hit your 70s and 80s, people are Everybody like, "Everybody else just right, caught up.
0: Fine. <laughs> that's a good point.
1: <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, but we do want to today this year. We are celebrating Black History Month, of course. Like As every, every Friday, year. or every Friday, every February. Friday, February.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, but before we do that, how was your week?
0: My week was great. So I don't remember if I talked about it on the last uh, episode, but I did get some cool sculpting done. I've always had uh, body issue images. I was uh, like 95 pounds heavier when I was in high school. So, you know, I lost that weight, but my body still wasn't, you know, quote-unquote shaped right. Like it wasn't the average body because there was so much weight that I had put on that it made me not comfortable in my own skin so I got some cool sculpting done and um, you see results slowly over time so it's been nice to kind of you know every day I look up check the mirror I'm like oh a little bit more is gone so um, it's been nice working with that and um, you know just living my life playing video games still locked inside because of fucking quarantine it's been (laughs) nice to live under Joe Biden instead of uh, Trump I don't fear checking the news every day like what's happened today (laughs) have we blown something up today or is uh, a civil uprest happened yeah um you know he's working on making progressive issues which i did see that we have troops in syria now which i don't i need to learn more about that i don't know uh-huh. why we have troops in syria did he invade syria were these troops that trump had previously removed that i were think not he remo-
1: back? i know that trump had removed uh, <clears throat> troops from syria
0: why are we in syria again and do we need to be in syria for stability are we policing the world like we should be uh, you know is, i i need to know more about that but it's nice to feel safe and sane in the united states yeah yeah. It, and not feel like we're going towards that. It's tale. just
1: nice to, yeah, like you said, not constantly be doom scrolling through Twitter. Yes. I mean, even though, like, all the executive orders that he passed, I mean, yes, we need to see some more resolutions behind that, we need to see enforcement of mm-hmm. it. But, you know, a lot like someone was like, don't you think 17 orders is too much kind of a dictatorship? And I'm like, well, I mean, half of those were literally just reversing an order that Trump had put in place. And and then there was a good portion of those that were in response to covid that we didn't have. To be honest, there was only about two executive orders that were actually new things Mm -hmm. that hadn't been on an agenda before. And
0: it's like we said, he has to get in there and do shit because we have had nothing for four years. Yeah. So.
1: And he's got to take advantage of this this congress which he knows he's got one real good year to use the senate and mm-hmm. the house as he needs and then the next year i mean if he early on he'll have some time but by the middle of the year the, the, people are going to be gonna worried happen. about
0: elections they're, well, they're going to be yeah, a little they're more going to be
1: electing you're, you're basically mm-hmm. from june on you're basically in a lame duck yeah so you really and are. then
0: yeah because you know these people are going to start thinking about getting elected if they're democrats in a more um conservative area they got to mm-hmm. be a little more careful with things that they're willing to pass so yep. Absolutely. And he he has to make use of this Congress, but he also has to make use of this um, emergency situation because uh, I forget the fucking quote, but it's like you can't let a good um, crisis go to waste, something like that, because during a crisis is when you can really make the most change because people need change get in there and make that change when you still can
1: yep exactly so you know he's he's hit the ground running and you know i've got my own well you know we've had our ink hang-ups and Mm -hmm. disagreements with joe biden and i don't i don't think he's socialist enough i don't like him but like
0: it's better than
1: trump it is it is you you know he's i do i will give him credit for his cabinet I hope that the diversity that he's put in his cabinet reaches down mm-hmm. to where it needs to, and and really makes the changes that we need.
0: And not only the diversity in his cabinet, I hope those members are willing to speak up about mm-hmm. certain issues, and I hope he's willing to listen and not yeah. just say, "Well, I appointed them." You well, know, the nice
1: thing about when you surround yourself with such a diverse group of people, if you are going to listen to mm-hmm. them, in some respects, just their perspectives on life are going to come through in the in the laws and um, and the, especially the with Kamala Harris as VP,
0: you know, yeah, exactly, she's younger. She's uh, a black South Asian yep. uh, woman, and mm-hmm. you know it's just he has so much diversity around him, and I really hope he's not too stubborn to work with them. I and, don't think he's that stubborn,
1: honestly. I will say that I think that Biden, yes, I think there's an ego that likes the fact that he's president, but I also think that it was like you know he knew he was the one person who probably could beat Trump. I think that other people possibly couldn't, mm-hmm. but like it was it was a good bet rolling on him, yep. and. Um, and he says that he's only going to run for one term. So if his idea is, let me get in, fix just this, get, Trump get out, of here, out yeah. then, you know, if you follow through with that, then, you know, we'll give you the credit for that. You know, we'll see. I just
0: hope that the next, we need a really fucking, we need to catch up with the rest of the world <laughs> exactly. because like we've said, we were turning into a third world country. So we really mm-hmm. need a progressive leader in there who's going to get shit done and catch us up because we yeah. have a lot to catch up on.
1: So much. I mean, we just fell so fucking far behind. So. Hopefully, hopefully, but you know it takes time for all of this stuff to come mm-hmm. to light. So we'll see what happens. But it's just nice to not have to look at your phone. Um, as for me, like my wife and I are waiting for a final ruling on whether we can adopt our kids. So fingers hopefully.
0: crossed, Christians. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Put all of your positive energies and your Christianity into. Good thoughts and intentions for Evan well, and his family.
1: Well, my, my my whole thing is that it's just that without getting too much of my kids' situation, they just don't have other options. If they didn't, weren't um, adopted by us, they would have to be adopted by other strangers. So there's not like there's other family members who are available to adopt our mm-hmm. kids and we're just like, no, we're good white parents and we're going to be the best for them. We There's just... The, it would be taking them away from us to put them in some other kind of home which would be an awful move. Mm-hmm. So, um so and we obviously we love them and we want to but you know, I also there's very much this thing with foster kids where like People think that you're some kind of savior because you adopted these kids, but most, a lot of times, sadly, they're just kids that have been taken away from poor families Mm -hmm. and poor black and brown families. And they're placed in these other homes and they really should be returned to their parents and their parents should be given money to live off of. That is not our children's case. So,
0: um,
1: anyways, so we're hoping to get a final ruling on that. And then, um, I've been very busy. We just launched the Vashti Initiative, Mm -hmm. which we talked about. And there's going to be a mini episode you can go back and listen to um, about um, what the Vashti Initiative is and serving people that have been in abusive environments, cults or abusive religious and spiritual environments. So we launched that. So I've just been busy with all that.
0: Yeah. And um, I'm just going to put this good intention out there. I'm I'm hopefully um, working towards starting my new job. Yes. (laughs) Please. I mean, if not, then I'll probably say i'll tweet something like just kidding paul didn't actually get a new job but um uh and if you are at my current job listening to this just pretend you didn't hear that what what new job what new job i don't know when you're done i haven't been interviewing no nothing like that's been going on
1: no but you, you it, it's good good mm-hmm. thing more good things coming and that's that is all good yeah but now i guess yeah
0: I, are you starting or am i starting i feel like this quote's very powerful so you should read it
1: <clears throat> okay A civilization is not destroyed by wicked people. It is not necessary that people be wicked, but only that they be spineless. Today we launch into the NASH, the annual observance of Black History Month. And this year we will be focusing on some of the literary works that have inspired different movements towards black equality. One of the most timely and well-known books written in the last century was the Black Manifesto, The Fire Next Time. Written by the queer civil rights activist James Baldwin, The Fire Next Time stirred the nation and fanned the flames of a black revolution well in progress. And while there were dozens of writers who contributed to the amazing works that encouraged and motivated black Americans during this time, Baldwin was by far one of the most poignant and influential.
0: Born in Harlem Hospital on August 7th, August 2nd, 1924, James was the son of a single mother, Emma Jones, who had fled from her addict husband. Not long after Emma settled down in New York, she met a Baptist preacher named David Baldwin, and the two married. James wrote often of his disdain and anger towards his stepfather, whom he simply called his father. Emma and David would have eight children together and James was the outsider of the family. The one child who wasn't fully related by blood, the smartest and the most defiant in the bunch, and the child who knew, by age 14, that he was gay. All of this made it incredibly difficult for James and his father to find common ground. David's harsh and brutal beatings made the relationship no easier. And I can see how that would be hard, especially, you know, the day the father is a Baptist preacher. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's like, how much further conservative can you go? Yeah. And especially in this time period with the unfortunate, I mean, the unfortunate way we still teach treat um Mm -hmm. black people in this country but especially in this time period you add religion on top of it Mm -hmm. and then you also include that he's gay like that just compound on compound on compound must have made his life so hard yeah and so you know not only are you an outcast in your own black community for being gay and you have a preacher father you also have to deal with the entire country just not giving a fuck about your entire life
1: yeah And he writes about that And I really And obviously it's going to be Your recommended resource But The Fire Next Time Is not that long It's a collection of essays really And It is Not really Um, And So He just He writes so much about Like Part of it was Yes that his stepfather Was very Just very much My way or the highway Kind of guy Obviously you see that In a Mm -hmm. Baptist preacher a lot Um, He was He was You know He did use force And um, Physical abuse Mm -hmm. To try to keep um, James in line But also, his father was doing what a lot of his father was terrified that James's defiance was going to get him killed. Basically, like yeah. you think you can stand up to the man, the white man, mm-hmm. and you can't. It's going to get you killed. And De- and James at that time didn't understand that. Right. He thought he could do whatever he, wanted. he thought he could talk back to the cops. And so what if they beat him up? He didn't get yet that yeah. like once you hit a certain age, they're not just going to keep start beating. It's uh, the
0: invulnerable feeling of youth. Yeah, I remember that feeling, and I remember when it first went away. Mm-hmm. When I was like twenty six or something, I remember for the first time being like. I could actually die yeah. at any point and when you're younger you just don't get that and and that's why a lot of times you see the younger people are the ones that are sparking the revolutions and the change
1: yeah exactly so I mean so yes his father was I'm not saying that his stepfather was a perfect man I do think and I think that James believed that his, his stepfather loved him but he was it was that time period and then it was also the fact that they were black and he knew and though James did not come out obviously at that time he I mean he was not exhibiting those traits of masculinity mm-hmm. that his stepfather wanted to see right um, and there's also an important where it says James was the outsider of the family there was an important um, I linked the article it's in Vice it was written by a um, uh, Michael Cootie, I think, um, a, a journalist from Vice, the article is linked, but he uh, he writes about how James Baldwin was always an outsider mm-hmm. because he was an outsider as a black man in America. He was an outsider as a gay man in the black community. He was an outsider in his old family. And that perspective allowed him to have this very balanced view of the world around him mm-hmm. because, yes, he saw where the evil was, but he also saw where there was goodness and there was love, and he saw where this, the, the hatred on both sides or on all sides was often... Blurring people's uh, perception Mm -hmm. That's also why James Baldwin Took a long time for him to identify as a civil rights Activist because sometimes he felt like The movement was too violent but it wasn't That he thought that the white people were right So it it, it was a lot But anyways go ahead
0: still in the fire next time baldwin speaks of his desire desire to find a connection in the church he became a pastor the same year he first woke to his sexual desires he hoped and failed to run from his identity as well as his doubts about religion yet for a few years he did preach in harlem often several times a week he commit he commit commented he commented on how the pulpit protected him to passively say to his father all the things he kept bottled inside. For a few moments, the tables were turned and James was the preacher raining down condemnation on the man who caused him so much pain. Yet even as he roared and scathed with scriptures and eloquent homilies, Baldwin could not find the redeeming values of Euro-Christian principles. To tell how little I went to church with like some of these words, on (laughs) the like, Paul Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) James wrote of his
1: disillusionment in the church. When I watched all the children, their copper, brown, and beige faces looking at me as I taught Sunday school, I felt that I was committing a crime in talking about the gentle Jesus and telling them to reconcile themselves and their misery on earth in order to gain the crown of eternal life. Perhaps I might have been able to reconcile myself to this even if I had been able to believe that there was any loving kindness to be found in the heaven I represented. But I had been in the pulpit too long and I had seen too many monstrous things. I don't refer merely to the glaring fact that the minister eventually acquires houses and Cadillacs while the faithful continue to scrub floors and drop their dimes and quarters and dollars into the plate. I really mean that there was no love in the church. It was a mask of hatred and self-hatred and despair. The transfiguring power of the Holy Ghost ended when the service ended and salvation stopped at the
0: church door. That's a very honest and accurate quote. Right? It was through Christianity that James Baldwin saw the deep hypocrisy of white Americans who went to church each Sunday and then denied basic rights to their black and brown neighbors. And it was also through Christianity that the young writer began to despise what he saw as as black Americans attempt to assimilate to white culture by adopting white religion. Of course, there are many black believers and theologians Theologians. theologians who would disagree with Baldwin, but James did bring... But James did bring up many good points about America's nationalist religious practices. Long before the discussion of colonization became a daily topic on social media, Baldwin was pointing to the clear connection between the church and the enslavement of other people. The spreading of the gospel, regardless of the motives or the integrity or the heroism of some of the missionaries, was an absolutely indispensable fensible justification for the planting of the flag priests and nuns and school teachers helped to protect and sanctify the power that was so ruthlessly being used by people who were indeed seeking a city but not one in the heavens and one to be made very defiantly by captive hands the christian church itself again as distinguished from some of its ministries sanctioned uh, sanctified and rejoiced in the conquests of the flag and encouraged If if it did not formulate the belief that conquest with the resulting relative well-being of the Western populations was proof of the favor of God. And it was all just a fucking excuse Mm -hmm. to murder people, take their land and say, well, God just wanted it for us. That's that's it. We just needed this land. You don't understand. This is our promised land.
1: Well, what was that in the James Buchanan episode where we talked about divine? um, Um, Oh, God. Divide intervention. No, it wasn't intervention, but it was divine something. And it was that whole idea that, like, of course, because we were able to slaughter the natives of this land and because we uh, have, you know, killed the Mexicans in the South Mm -hmm. and we've enslaved the black man, clearly that means that God wants the whites to rule the earth. And it, of course, it ignores all the other people around the world, Mm -hmm. but it's just... The, the idea that God would want manifest you to destiny. kill. Manifest Yes, look at that. Um, paying attention in school.
0: Uh, well, actually, I was taught that in public school, yeah. but I wasn't taught that it was... I was taught that that's why they believed they were allowed to do it. I wasn't taught manifest destiny like yeah. you Yeah, see, I
1: was taught manifest destiny. You were taught that's why. But right. yeah, is that, so then that whole idea of like... This is a sign from God. The fact that we keep winning, so-called, mm-hmm. no, the, regardless of the fact that we cheat and we lie and we steal, but we keep winning shows
0: we that have the we power. Are right. We are the chosen ones,
1: and that's why James Baldwin was mad that Black Americans had gone to that because he said, "Look at this corrupt religion that mm-hmm. you're you're taking a part in, and it's." it's the same religion that caused us to be enslaved in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. And you know, um, these the reason they were quote unquote winning so much was because mm-hmm. they were fucking filthy and bringing all their disease and well, killing yeah. people.
1: And, and, and breaking <laughs> their treaties. I mean, they didn't win anything. They, they didn't lied, win anything they fairly. Cheated.
0: Yes, they lied. They cheated. They slaughtered people. And they were just like, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened. We just we just suddenly had this town. Yeah. must have been God's intervention.
1: Exactly. Which uh, this is a side note, but maybe that's why It's ironic to me that the team in the NFL that's been known the most for cheating, the Patriots, bears the name of the people that cheated and lied and (laughs) still to get their way. Anyways. Surprising. Just me pissing off all the football fans before we go to break.
0: And with that, we'll be right back.
1: Hello, Christians. We just want to remind you all that Sojourner House of Rhode Island is offering two important free national services at this time. Any person in the United States who identifies as a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, and or human trafficking can take part in their free virtual support groups every Monday and Tuesday. It's a healthy and accessible way for victims to find support, especially during this time of uncertainty due to COVID-19. The other service they're offering is a free at-home HIV testing kit. In order to receive yours, you simply have to send in a request to khawkins at sojournerri.org. That's K-H-A-W-K-I-N-S at sojournerri.org and set up a brief consultation. Then a test will be shipped to your home free of charge and you can self-administer and receive results within 20 minutes. After a few days, a Sojourner House representative will contact you just to make sure you have all the resources you need. There's no payments or further stipulations required for anyone receiving this important service. So connect with Sojourner House today and send in your request for support. If you have trouble getting through, then feel free to message Paul and Evan at yourqueerstory at gmail.com or message us on any social media platform at yourqueerstory. So uh, coming back, we were talking about James Baldwin and the manifesto of the fire next time and his early life with his father, his stepfather, really. But the man who raised him, who was a Baptist minister, was very abusive to James. He had a very hostile relationship, but a lot of it he later recognized was because his father was, you know, trying to protect him from what life was like as Mm -hmm. a black man in America and as a black gay man in America and um and then we had just finished um his kind of his scathing uh attack on christianity and Mm -hmm. the way he saw black americans trying to assimilate to this white culture through their religion and how james believed that it was wrong now that's not our commentary that's james baldwin's commentary
0: um so as is told by most black and brown people the realities of racism were always known by james At the age of 10, he was first harassed and beaten by two police officers. Throughout his teen years, he watched countless friends and neighbors brutally assaulted by cops and dragged to prison on empty and fabricated charges. By 1943, Harlem was ready to explode with the rage towards a country that clearly had no intention of addressing its own ugly hate. Three important events in James' life happened at the same time. He turned 19, his father died, and Harlem, New York, broke out into a riot. James later wrote in another book, Notes of a Native Son, as a statement that perfectly fits the moment. He wrote this of his father's death. When he died, I had been away from home for a little over a year. and that year, I had had time to become aware of the meaning of all of my father's bitter warnings, had discovered the secret of his proudly pursed lips and rigid carriage. I had discovered the weight of white people in the world
1: on august 1st 1943 the same day as the funeral of james's father and actually uh the next day his birthday the tension in the district broke out when white when a white policeman shot an unarmed black man sounds
0: like fucking 2020 <laughs> <Right>. same fucking <laughs> what's shit. the difference Have made 1943 no progress.
1: <laughs> soldier robert bandy was standing with his mother in the lobby of the braddock hotel when a commotion arose another black patron marjorie polite was raising a ruckus after insisting on a re- full refund when the room she requested was denied. So she had requested a room with a shower and a bath. They So she requested one. She got there. They didn't have it. They're like, okay, we'll put you in another room. She goes to another room. It still doesn't have a shower and a bath. So she goes down. She's like, I want a refund. I'm not staying here.
0: This is what she fucking paid right. for. She requested a room with a shower and a fucking bath. Exactly.
1: So they give her a refund. But she wants a refund on the tip that she gave the bellboy, which was a $15 tip in that time period. Mm-hmm. And he refused to give it. So she starts getting angry and upset. Um, And so the police are called. The police were called and they arrested Miss Polite on the charges of disturbing the peace. When the officer began to push Marjorie, Robert Bandy stepped in to intervene. The policeman, James Collins, threw his billy club at Robert, but the agile soldier skillfully caught the baton. Embarrassed, Collins demanded Bandy give him back the club. And when the soldier hesitated, Collins shot him in the shoulder. Luckily, Bandy was okay and was taken to the hospital, however, word began to spread that the white police officer had killed a black soldier.
0: That summer was much like a few others we've had in America, including last year's 2019 Summer of Unrest. Across the nation Oh, 2020 Oh yeah.
1: Jesus What year is it? <laughs> we don't it even know
0: That summer was much like a few others that we've had in America including last year's 2020 summer of unrest Across the nation riots had broken out in Los Angeles Detroit and even Beaumont, Texas As a crowd gathered across the hospital the anger began to grow and then suddenly someone threw a bottle off of of the hospital's roof and the riot erupted. White businesses were burned and looted over the course of the next 2 days. 7500 police, militia and volunteers were called in to put rioters down. 700 people were injured, 6 people died and 600 people were arrested for rioting. But the Harlem riot would go down in infamy as a pivotal moment in the fight for black civil rights.
1: I just want to say that 600 people were arrested for rioting, which there was incredible damage, and like we see, six people died, 700 people were injured, but 600 people are arrested for rioting, and how many people were arrested for charging our capital? Um, maybe 50 at this point?
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. About that? Okay. And you can't even say that, oh, there was... I, like, I don't know what you would say about yeah. that. I'm trying to think of an excuse, right? But I, mean, like, I literally like can't even think of a fabricated excuse. Like, what some kind of bullshit excuse you could use?
1: Right. Like, they, they did the same things. Like, they 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 charged into the Capitol. They broke windows. They smashed. They attacked police officers. Ultimately, five people died. Four people mm-hmm. died in the riot. Thousands yep. of people uh, charged the Capitol. I, dozens and dozens actually got inside, if not a few hundred. But, okay, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> It was also a pivotal moment for the young writer. For the past four years, James had been mentored by artist Buford Delaney. Delaney saw the teenager's potential, and James saw that life could be more than sweatshops and silent existence. Um, I should have added Buford was the one that really um, cultivated uh, James's writing. He was already mm-hmm. writing, but like uh, Delaney was the one that really inspired him. He also, I think, served as kind of a positive fi- father figure yeah. for James. In 1953, Baldwin's first full novel was published, Go Tell It on the Mountain. It met with mild success. However, it would be his collection of essays on the Harlem and race riots and notes of a native son that brought Baldwin to national attention. The book has long been looked at as an important historical analogy of the growing tensions in America. Like all of his work, Baldwin's truth was deep, pointed, and shook the foundations of of our country's corruption. In a single sentence, he could sum up so much. One such line in the book could as easily be applied today as it was 66 years ago. People who shut their eyes to reality simply invite their own destruction. And anyone who insists on remaining in a state of innocence long after that innocence is dead turns himself into a monster. Can't agree with
0: that more. Right? That is a very powerful... Like, if you're sitting by... like. Trump's fucking America. Sitting, people sitting by mm-hmm. watching children in cages being mm-hmm. taken from their families. Sitting, representing themselves in court, and you just sit idly by, right? Yeah. You're a monster at that point because you are doing nothing but a, but letting that happen. You're yeah. taking. No, you're not standing against that okay, whatever, they shouldn't have broke the law. What comes next? They start coming for you because you don't fucking stick up for anybody else. There's going to be nobody left to fight for you at the end of the day, and you're going to deserve that.
1: Well, that's why, like, so many civil rights, like, we're here in Black History Month, we're talking about this, and the most important thing you hear again and again from these leaders is it's not the the KKK that we're afraid of. It's not the guys on the streets that are beating us. We know that danger is coming. It's all the rest of you that let us be beat. It's mm-hmm. all the rest of you who vote against measures that would protect us. Who tell us that that's not as important as you saving a few hundred dollars on your taxes. Right. You're telling us that we have to die and we have to continue to be locked up. And, that's and just our children because, have to live in poverty. Shouldn't because, have been born that color. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Too bad for us. Right? Like we put ourselves in. If we would just pull ourselves by our own boots pull ourselves up by own bootstraps we'd be okay like you look at uh, the evil around you and you just shrug it off as i can't do anything about it and it's more important that i have three hundred dollars in tax savings this year than it is that your children get to eat that is the monster the mm-hmm. monster is is not the person who's open about their hate I mean, that they are, are they are but they're not <laughs> it's the, sorry but that monster is the the most more insidious monster mm-hmm is the person who spinelessly sits back and says, not my problem. I don't want to get involved. You shouldn't have done this. Let just me find the blame to put on you. I don't do politics.
0: Yeah. Because I already have everything that I could ever want and sorry that you don't. It's just not that big of a deal Maybe to you me. should be like, you know, maybe you should get more involved. Like, not, nothing we can change anyways, right? Right? <laughs> During this decade, James had immigrated to France in order to escape the deep racism, racism so entrenched in America, which is really awesome that All of these, like, um, these, uh, black, like, empowered figures went to France. I've seen, like, Mm -hmm. uh... Josephine Baker, like, it seems like that must have been really the hub of, like, progress.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, France has very long been the hub Mm -hmm. of progress. I mean, we've been riding on their coattails, acting like we're all about revolution, (laughs) Prince. Motherfucker, the French French
0: Revolution, you mean? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He retold the story of going into a diner and being denied service. In anger, he threw a glass at the wall behind the counter clerk and stormed out. That was the last straw for Baldwin, who would no longer subject himself to the humiliation and degradation that American life demanded of black citizens. France would remain his home for the rest of his life. Though, he often returned to the states to help his country of birth fight for the equality and equitable treatment that was so long overdue, yet overseas there was a freedom and sense of safety James knew he could never have in America. Not only was he a free black man, but he was also a relatively free gay man, which James Baldwin never- While James Baldwin never publicly came out, he was never exactly in the closet. Like his contemporary Bayard Russen- Bayard James simply existed in his most authentic form. And that authentic form was a queer, sexually fluid, black writer and activist. So,
1: I mean, this, you have to understand homosexuality and there's even a good concept of like how homosexuality was like a white concept. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and in a lot of ways it was. And, and part of that was because it was dominated by a white movement. But it was just, you just were. He just, he was gay and he didn't talk about it because he couldn't but he also didn't hide it you know he just mm-hmm. he just was and then people had a problem with it but he was like he was like well i, I don't know this is just who i am
0: uh, and i and that's where i hope the future is one day where you're like yeah i'm gay but like that's just who i am and you don't mm-hmm. you know i we always talk about being so loud and open and expressive because it's kind of required right because yeah. if we don't do it Those people who don't have a voice aren't going to be able to get by. But I hope one day that people are just able to be queer and they don't have to be loud about it. And they Mm -hmm. can just be. It just is. They can just be,
1: yes. Yeah, it just is. So, and just like Rustin, Baldwin's orientation cost him some of the prominence of power he could have had within the movement. Yet, James was never quite one seeking to be a leader. He simply wanted to write what he saw and felt and use it to inspire others to be leaders. And I think this is where the big difference, because Bayard Rustin was a leader, but he could have been even more of a a larger, prominent leader. And he wanted that political power, but... He wouldn't sacrifice his authenticity to right. get it. James Baldwin was never out to, like, to lead a movement. Mm-hmm. He just was writing and reporting what he saw and felt and who he was. And so I, I don't think it impacted him as negatively as it did Rustin because right. they had two different goals. Mm-hmm. And, that he, and that he did extremely well, in fact. And unlike most, Baldwin had the ability to still openly talk about his sexuality through the guise of fiction and fantasy. In 1956, James wrote Giovanni's Room, one of the earliest classics in America, to have an openly gay protagonist. Some have even speculated that the book was a sort of queer memoir for Baldwin. After all, it's about an American man who meets a handsome Italian in a bar in Paris.
0: Hmm.
1: Nothing. what, where do you get that? I
0: don't know where he drew that inspiration from. Never heard of that person. No, nope.
1: nope. this guy, in this book, his name is is uh, is James. I'm J.
0: A M J E.
1: But maybe James knew that he had already was already pushing the limits of the book, and so he made all the characters in the story white. This not only gave the taboo subject more selling ability, but it also gave the artist plausible deniability if anyone accused him of being the actual subject of the novel. Though it didn't meet as much success during this time, Baldwin's writing went on to become one of the most influential queer novels of all time. Gotta add that
0: to my bookshelf.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I would like to do a whole um, later, uh, much later episode, do a whole episode just on Giovanni's room and and its importance and then just the subject of the book. But Mm -hmm. yeah, very good.
0: Maybe we could start a book club. Like we've, to, but, <laughs> like we've talked about. Like we've talked about. I don't know when we we'll have time we to have do that. We have no but time
1: for anything else. We are stretched thin. <laughs> I know. I read
0: on my treadmill. Yeah. I like have my my Kindle because I'm like I don't know when else I'm gonna get to this, so I'm just fucking yeah. read while I walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, my therapist actually asked me on a phone call like last week. She's like, "Is there? Do you have any unscheduled time, Paul? And I was like, well, actually, in the evenings, I do allow myself two hours of freedom. <laughs> there you go. Um, as America hurtled toward more unrest and social activism, Baldwin began to become even more vocal and open about the need for reform in the States. He wrote several essays for different magazines and soon became one of the most widely read authors on the, ra- on the racial struggles in America. A few of his essays were compiled into the books that would be known as The, fir- the Fire Next Time. The title comes from an African spiritual song, song about the biblical story of Noah. In the book of Genesis, the story goes that the entire world was o- was covered with a flood as, Je- as Jehovah punished his creation for their wickedness. After the water subsided, God sent a rainbow to Noah to promise he would never flood the world again. However, there was a warning attached to the symbol of peace. The warning was that the next time God destroyed the earth, it would be with fire. As the spiritual goes, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water, the fire next time.
1: I actually sing a song like
0: that which um uh, can we talk about global warming because is that way God's way of punishing us
1: <laughs> oh uh, hey I mean there are people that think that that think that they've twisted it around now. like see God told us he was gonna dis- destroy us with fire maybe
0: look at California right all of the queers in California are being burnt alive. I mean
1: honestly I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised right but um but yeah it's it's just um there's everything about that. That that whole idea of God destroying the earth because of it. Like, he created the earth. Mm-hmm. And he created this creation. And then this creation was wicked. The creation that he created. And then he decides <laughs> to destroy how the whole... How dare
0: I, you <laughs> use the free will that I gave you? I gave you
1: free will so that you could fuck up if you want to. And how dare you fuck up? And I'm going to destroy you all. And we're going to start over. Um, but it's just, this was exactly why... Baldwin had such a problem with the religious teaching, the Christian, mm-hmm. this kind of Christian teaching, because he struggled with the, the idea that a God would destroy his entire creation. And then even when you send a rainbow and you say, I'm never going to destroy the world again with water, but I will destroy it with fire. <laughs> if you get out of line again, <laughs> it was that constant, like there's no real redemption. There's no real salvation. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly. It's just fear. 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 Exactly. Fear. So, but James took the title to express the urgency of the movement to warn black Americans that they had that they had been given the gift of emancipation, but that if they did not wake up and fight back against their white oppressors, the next wave of vengeance would be even worse. In the book, he chastised his black siblings while also reminding white folks that it was them who were lacking in humanity. he don't, He told his black fellows, "There is no reason for you to try to become like white people, and there is no basis whatever for their impertinent assumption that they must accept you." The terrible thing, old buddy, is that you must accept them. And I mean that very seriously. You must accept them and accept them with love, for these innocent people have no other hope. They are, in effect, still trapped in a history which they do not understand. And until they understand it, they cannot be released from it. They have had to believe for many years and for innumerable reasons that black men are inferior to white men. Many of them, indeed, know better, but as you will discover, people find it very difficult to act on what they know.
0: This is the most honest fucking truth I have ever seen. (laughs) And it goes back to like I explained in one of our episodes not too long ago Mm -hmm. where I said, you know, if you live somewhere like Northwest Indiana in a small town of 2,000 people, all 2,000 people are white farmers. They don't know any different, and they don't Mm -hmm. get Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Why? Everything's fine to them. They don't have a need for all this uprest, so why should another group of people? Yep. Because they just don't fucking understand. And I don't, well, I do understand how our schools aren't teaching like Mm -hmm. you know racial education because Mm -hmm. we have fucking assholes like trump pushing for a patriot (laughs) education yeah but it's just it blows my mind that so many people are willing to sit idly by and allow this to go on and it's because they have the privilege of not ever having to fight for anything yeah and they're so comfortable why would they make themselves uncomfortable to fight for somebody else because they're fucking selfish assholes yeah i'm speaking to like a majority of white america by the way (laughs)
1: well and that's what baldwin understood but that's what that's what he was advocating for constantly. He was telling people, he wasn't saying we're we're ignoring or justifying or being like, well, you know white people, but he was saying you're coming around this thing like you're so angry at them for who they are, but you have to understand that they need more education and we need to change our history. We need to ch- uh, change the way we talk, we Approach white people and not in an apologetic way although I do think that some things that Baldwin wrote might today be considered apologetic but in just a very like you're not going to change them by just screaming at them they, they they, don't know their fucking history like black people know their history right. and white people think they know
0: their history but, but they but know it's a made, a, up, a made history. up
1: history and we have to teach them their real history and we have to accept where they are and then move on from there mm-hmm.
0: like I remember in elementary school we were learning about um like the Mayflower and everything and like Native American history. Like mm. we just split the class up. We were like I don't know, we like drew paper, drew a rock or a straw or something, and it was like one half of the class was Native Americans and one half of the class was pilgrims. And everybody put on a little headdress depending on what you yeah. were and you sang songs about how the pilgrims and the Native Americans <laughs> got along and had this wonderful feast. And it's like that's you know white americans are taught that they're perfect in Mm -hmm. every way and that they found this great country and they resolved all the world's problems and Mm -hmm. that is what they are taught and they don't see anything else and if you're taught that you don't seek out the truth because Mm -hmm. you don't want to believe anything other than yes your ancestors were the greatest people ever and you are here to save the world but if you don't know your history you can't help other people and you can't make other communities better and you can't undo the injustices that as a, as a community you have caused yeah. because you just don't know any better. You, you have to seek that education. and
1: you. But also white people have to continue to challenge other white people yes. to face that. Exactly. Because, yes, it is hard when you wake up to the fact they're like, holy fuck, everything I was taught was a lie. I've been such an
0: asshole. Mm-hmm. How could
1: I have done these things? But then you have to have the courage to face that and move on. And you don't look, get to say, oh, well, it's not my fault. My teacher's taught me this. And
0: you have to be willing to be an outcast in the white community. Yeah. As, you know, um... I read a book and they were talking about white solidarity. You have to be willing to break that white solidarity. And yeah. if you don't, you're as much of an asshole as the fucking people who are okay with people with children sitting in cages.
1: You, exactly, you need you're to spineless, it. you're spineless and you're sacrificing your own comfort for the, when people are suffering. Mm-hmm. You do have to be uncomfortable. And it's a very, very small and insignificant price to pay compared to other communities. Yep. Like it's not like you're being a hero by sacrificing your comfort. There are mm-hmm. people that are dying, they're imprisoned, they're impoverished. You can sacrifice your comfort. Right, it's you.
0: Baldwin went on to mock the idea that blacks wanted or should want to assimilate to white culture and ideals. After all, weren't these moral standards the same ones that had justified the enslavement and slaughtering of millions? The idea that black would want to be a, the idea that blacks would want to be accepted by white society was a fantasy concocted by white arrogance. James wrote, "There appears to be a vast amount of confusion on this point." But I do not know many Blacks who are eager to be accepted by white people, still less to be loved by them. They, the Blacks, simply don't wish to be beaten over the head by the whites every instant of our brief passage of this planet. White people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when when they have achieved this, which will not be tomorrow and will not be today and may very well be never, the Black problems will no longer exist. For it will no longer be needed. The writer also encouraged his black siblings by laying the truth out clearly. Please try to remember that what they believe, as well as what they do and cause you to endure, does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity and fear.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it is, it's just such a good, again, a balanced perspective of saying, like, I know, like, I know what what they're doing is wrong, and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Let's just look at though at why we're here and what we need to go because that's what happens. There's so much anger. The white person is so afraid of losing their control and the black person is so angry at the injustice Mm -hmm. that you can't, it's not finding a middle ground. It's finding the truth of like, where did this come from and how do we actually address this? Instead, it's just white people are bad, black people are bad, and we don't actually get to address how we can fix the problems. Right. James Baldwin's unshakable yet calm truth unnerved Americans on all sides. White people could not consciously deny the deeds of their past nor their current actions. And while Baldwin admonished kindness and love towards the white men, he also elicited pity, an emotion so often used by whites against black and brown people because white folks audaciously believed that they were superior. However, James flipped the tables and showed that it was the morally corrupt white Americans who deserved pity for their own perversion. Baldwin did not call for white aggression to be excused or overlooked. Rather, rather he saw this naked truth as a way to humble the public and grow. The fire next time was a challenge to both black and white Americans to create a new future. He posed that challenge in this paragraph. Love takes off the mask that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I use the word love here not merely in the personal sense but as a state of being or state of grace not in the infantile american sense of being made happy but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and
0: growth And we must pause to make clear that james was also full of doubt as to whether anyone would pick up his challenge white people had and continue to tear down black and brown communities since 1619 they had destroyed the indigenous people of america since 1492 and worse they had rewritten history to make them seem like the heroes in order to address our moral failings our nation had to reconcile with a history laden with erasures inaccuracies and even blatant lies as baldwin so eloquently wrote to accept one's past one's history is not the same thing as drowning in it it is learning how to use it an invented past can never be used it cracks and crumbles under the pressure of life like clay in a season of drought
1: just exactly the same mm-hmm. thing, and and this is why it's so important to breed Black history, stamped from the beginning by. um Why can't I ever Ibram? Abram. Ibram yes, Ibram. But it's what's the X? Ibram X. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, stamped from the beginning, um, amazing. The sixteen nineteen project, fantastic. You can listen to the podcast. You can listen to the. Um, the the essays and the writings in the project there's just so much good stuff out there rereading your history but those would be two that i would really strongly encourage Mm -hmm. you to begin with stamp from the beginning and um and then uh uh, the 1619 project Mm -hmm. the fire next time went on to be one of the most influential books of its time and remains just as relevant today James Baldwin would continue his fight for black equality and would write several more works, including If Beale Street Could Talk, Just Above My Head, and The Price of the Ticket. One unfinished memoir, Remember This House, was later turned into a 2016 movie, I Am Not Your Negro. He, is often invited to, he was often invited to speak at rallies and seminars for black rights and on to talk shows to address white listeners. You can listen to a lot of his interviews on YouTube, a really... I, I really love James Baldwin, and it's it's sad that it's taken us two and a half years to, call, to cover him. I've been wanting to cover him since the beginning, but, but you know what?
0: We have grown as a podcast, so I'm yeah. glad that we are covering more um, people like uh, James Baldwin now that we've grown and mm-hmm. developed and are able to uh, better portray their stories.
1: Exactly, but I just he's just he's so smart, and he just knew how to put things so simply for people, and mm-hmm. but just true, like just a real honest truth that you couldn't even be mad about because it just was right. It just, it was like his life. Mm-hmm. It was, he just was, Yeah. um, By the time the gay rights movement took off in the 1970s, James had mostly retired from public life, but he did openly attack the bigotry and homophobia of the time through his writing, just as he had continued to attack racism. In his 1979 novel, Just Above My Head, James writes about the intersecting identities of being black and gay, though the term's intersectionality would not even be coined for several more years.
0: Mm -hmm. Baldwin was diagnosed with with stomach cancer in 1987 and spent his final days at home in Paris. He was accompanied by a former lover Lucien Happensberger, um, and close friend artist Nal Hollis. Author Jules Farberg recounted recounts a story by Hollis, told in the autobiography James Baldwin, Escape from America, Exile and Province. Nal told his friend, Through your books, you liberated me from my guilt about being so bigoted coming from Alabama, and because of my homosexuality. Baldwin insisted, No, you liberated you liberated me in revealing this to me. James died on December 1st, 1987, at the age of 63. His legacy has continued to live on in honors and awards given long after his death. In 2019, Baldwin was inducted into the National National LGBTQ Wall of Honor at the brand new Stonewall National Monument, erected to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. We will leave you with this final quote from Baldwin that is more important than ever i love america more than any other country in the world and exactly for this reason i insist on the right to criticize her perpetually Right, that is a big mood (laughs) (laughs) right it's -hmm. just
1: true it's just like this idea that you can't criticize your country and love it and that's just not true
0: idea that nationalism requires you to have blind faith in Mm -hmm. your country why can't you criticize your country in every way because then you're ensuring that you're Continuously progressing And becoming better Right You should constantly Critique and become better And work to make it The best place for everybody That you possibly can
1: Yeah If you don't progress Your country dies So what is the greater love Mm -hmm. You know Is the greater love The parent that says No it's okay Whatever you do Is perfectly fine Or is the greater love The parent that says No you're gonna eat Your vegetables And you're gonna go to bed And you're gonna do The things that you need to do Because these are good for you Mm -hmm. And that's That's the greater love Of a place Is saying like No your people are dying Your people are hurt You're not being fair and just You're not living to the morals and ethics that you set for yourself you said that all men were created equal mm-hmm. you said that we should have the right to pursue happiness you said those things so let's make measures to make sure every person can do those things Right. so yes you should criticize perpetually and your recommended resources is of course The Fire Next Time which is available both on audio and hard copy format and we also suggest Giovanni's Room I don't know where the and came from but <laughs> you can also check out Giovanni's Room we will probably cover that later Um, and, and like I said, make sure if you want to just listen, if you can't read well, or not, I can't say read well, but if you don't prefer to read, or if you want to listen to something that maybe it's not a book, although the fire next time, very short, um, you can always watch his interviews on, um, on YouTube, just type in James Baldwin. There's just some really, really great interviews of him and, and moments of him speaking, but Yeah. So with that, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little educators. And little succulent sapphists.
0: Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats.
1: And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. In Black Black Lives Lives Matter.
0: Matter.
1: Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story.
0: Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory.
1: And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory.
0: See you next week. Bye. Bye.